Good evening, good evening, good evening, Internet, and welcome to the next episode of This Heretical Life. I am your host, Brian Thomas, and as always, I am joined by my, my much handsomer-sounding co-host, Adam Leggett. Hello, everybody. It's been a bit. Uh, our, our goal of trying to release one every two weeks has uh, fallen by the wayside. My fault. My fault entirely. I take the full and complete blame uh, for that. Um, but maybe maybe like once a month. Maybe once a month is, uh, is attainable. But anyway, we're back. We're back now. And, uh, and we're back to talk about things that make our Baptist friends uncomfortable. Hey. That's what we're here for. It is. I mean, there really is one of the uh, fundamental goals, fundamental priorities of our um, of our podcast is to say things that make our Baptist friends uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, you uh, you sent me a meme the other day, um, and I wanted to share it and I was like on Facebook I was like I could I told Kelly I can share this and just sort of you know poke my Baptist friend and she's like please don't I was like fine <laughs> so I didn't yeah that was a pretty good meme too it it's was kind of a shame I mean it was uh it was pretty good pretty good so <coughs> I laughed I mean I laughed I laughed a lot so yeah it's pretty great but uh anyway when we get to when we have a podcast uh, I kind of, kind of get to poke the Baptist friends, but do it in a less openly um, antagonistic. antagonistic, yeah, <laughs> and less openly antagonistic way. Okay. <laughs> um, so we have been talking through the sacraments, and uh, we've talked about marriage. We've talked about baptism. We've talked. Have we talked about the Eucharist yet? I honestly don't remember. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. Maybe I don't. I don't think Maybe we not. have. I don't. I don't think so. I, I mean, we've talked. Ab- we've talked about it in the past, uh, like as part of episodes. Yeah. But I don't know that we've. I don't know that we've done a, a whole episode just dedicated to the Eucharist. I don't think we have. I don't think we've done a whole episode dedicated to the Eucharist. So fun to come in the future, audience, uh, but not today. Today, we are talking about confession. Um, one of those things, I think, if you really want to make Baptists uncomfortable, they're uncomfortable with sacraments just as a general rule. Uh, they like marriage. They think marriage is good. I think marriage is right on up there. And, sure. and you know, Baptists have sort of stripped down, or maybe just, we should say, non-sacramental versions yeah. Of some of the sacraments, like they they do observe Baptism, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. Yeah, uh, they believe that. I mean, they believe in some sort of position of pastor or elder, you know, a leader of some form yeah. within the church. Yeah. That's distinct from the laity. Um, you know, they have funerals, which, uh, you know, I guess you could, we might would consider that to be some form of. I don't know. Some might consider that some form of a more simplified sacramental, but uh, hmm. I don't know. Maybe not. That's interesting. I, I look forward to that conversation when we get to that sacrament. Yeah, for um, sure. But confession is one that they kind of don't have a you know a um, a Baptist version of. Um, yeah, not not uh, not codified in any way. 
the closest thing maybe being um, men's ministries that try to get up, like get accountability groups and try to convince people to have accountability partners. Sure. Um, which I know of some people that have done that and, and um, like it's, it's a, a part of their life. They have somebody that kind of fills that role, uh, which is good. I, it was never something that, Maybe because I didn't have friends. You probably have to need to have friends <laughs> to do that. You just can't go up to random people in your church like, hey, <laughs> I confess all my sins to you. Um, that can be a good thing, but it can also – it's just something that's more times than not when I've seen it try to be implemented or try to encourage people to it. It's just not done well. You know, It ends up being really awkward and no one does it. Um, so – um, but we could, we could still chalk that up if we wanted to, to some innate, innate Baptist longing for confession. Um, sure. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll say that later when we, if we don't feel like we've poked the Baptist enough, we'll say it then. Um, but confession is one of those things. Um, a lot of people in the circles we grew up in are just really, really uncomfortable with it and really, really find it. Um, I don't know that there's anybody that I can think of off the top of my head that found it to be the most offensive thing about Catholicism. Generally speaking, that's either the Pope or Mary. Um, but confession is one of those things that is definitely not well regarded in Baptist circles. Yeah. And with, with all charity, let's try to talk about maybe some of the reasons why, uh, without, I mean, without trying to straw man anybody, we used to be Baptists, so we can, we can speak to it a little bit. Uh, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as far as what you, an objection used to would have been Yeah, uh, against confession, uh, at, from a Baptist perspective? Yeah, there are a couple that come to mind. The first one being, uh, the idea that confession was, um, in, there was a, a dominant view that confession was simply, uh, Catholics, kind of doing whatever they wanted to, that you Uh can do whatever you want to, you can commit any sins, so long as you go confess them afterwards, and then you're fine. That confession Mm. was seen as sort of a, like a blanket excuse. Like, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you confess it afterwards. Yeah, Um, which oddly enough, some, I'm not saying a Baptist would teach this from the pulpit, maybe some would, but oddly enough, it's the way that some Baptists live their life. They live their life that way, just without confession at all. Yeah, right. Because yeah. you don't you don't have to do anything, right? Like you don't have to confess. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to. You know, God forgave you. You know, He forgave you when you accepted Christ on the cross, past, present, and future. And so you don't have to do anything. You know, like Jesus. Jesus loves you. He forgave you. Just mm-hmm. try not to do it again if you can help it. But if you do. Oh well, you know. Um, yeah, and, and again, I, I would say that both, like both what I just said and what you just said, are kind of caricatures. For if, sure, if that ma- if that makes sense, you know, not Baptists really don't live that footloose and can't fr- fancy free, or at least some of them don't. Some of them really take holiness seriously. Yeah, and I, and a Catholic is supposed to, you know, you you go to confession and uh, part of your act of contrition or the, you know, the thing that you say at the end is, you know, um, 
that you'll go and avoid whatever leads you to sin, right? Like mm-hmm. the idea is that you're, you're you're repenting. You're really trying to turn away from what you know you just confessed and trying to to follow after God and holiness. Um, so, yeah, oh, definitely, those are both both caricatures, and I think part of the reason growing up Protestant we viewed confession with so much suspicion is that we didn't equate confession with true uh, repentance. Mm, right. Like you just like confession was just the sort of mechanic by which Catholics had their sin removed. Like it didn't right. require them to be, all they had to do was go and say what they did to a priest and then maybe say, you know, repeat a, a prayer a few times afterwards. But the, the understanding of it, was more or less that confession was just this like pulling the arm on a slot machine. Hmm. Um, as long as you pulled down the arm on that slot machine of confession, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you were truly repentant. It didn't matter if you, you know, tried to avoid the things that led you into sin. Like you mentioned, it's just, it was just this mechanical, all you have to do is say it and then you're fine. Hmm. Um, which I don't think, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but I, don't think that's how Catholics approach confession. Or it's not <laughs> it's how they're taught to approach. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's not supposed to be. <laughs> um, but 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 again, you know, uh, um, just to kind of go back in defense, maybe of of uh, how Baptists are caricaturized. Um, you know, that's not how a Baptist is supposed to live. Like there, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace, mm. the idea that grace is just something that there's just this supply of, and well, you know, it's not a big deal. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to, it doesn't require any kind of repentance or sacrifice or anything like that. Um, you know, and, and a Baptist worth his salt would not tell you that you can just go live however you want to because you've been forgiven and you know that's all it takes you know like yeah it, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah and we both know i mean we both grew up around um uh, because we grew up in in pretty devout families we both grew up around baptists who who took their faith very seriously and took repentance very seriously mm-hmm. and took holiness very seriously so um again we're not trying to characterize uh, all Baptists as sort of being true to that caricature or being true to that stereotype. Um, just sort of trying to explain, like you said, what, what's when we look back on our days, um, as Baptists, like what was, what were the main objections that we had to confession? What, what did we point to as being as, uh, as being like evidence that confession was wrong and was bad. Mm-hmm. One of it being that sort of mechanical nature of it, and I think one being uh, what I heard a lot of times was I don't need to confess my sins to a priest. I can just confess my sins to God. Mm-hmm. Um, often w- with that exact accent. Yeah. Um, now, here's where our traditions differ slightly. Like um, in, in Orthodoxy, when you confess, you do confess and the priest is there. But um, we are not confessing to the priest. In fact, in the prayer the priest says before confession, he basically says, "I, you're confessing your sins to God. I am, I am here as a witness. Uh, and also there as like a, a spiritual father to give advice, to give counsel if needed. But um, in orthodoxy, it, it's, it's pretty clear. Look, you're confessing to God. You just need to confess in sort of a communal way. And that's mm-hmm. part of the function the priest fills. Whereas... 
it feels like, and maybe I'm wrong, it feels like Catholicism, there is much more this, you're confessing, you're confessing to God, but through the priest, like the priest is sort of a conduit. Is that fair or am I misconstruing it? Um, I mean, so you're, you're confessing your sins. I mean, the, the priest is there. I mean, maybe part of this is semantic. Um, I'm not sure. I guess we could, we could argue about it a minute, but, uh, we use the Latin phrase uh, in persona Christi, which is like he, he's when we confess to the priest, we recognize that he is the ambassador of Christ. So mm. and he, all, all authority that he might have that he does have is solely because of Christ. So the priest as a person, right, whether he's good or bad or, or it, that doesn't really matter. Like it's uh, it's very independent of the priest, but it's connected. It's distinct from the priest, but connected to him. Does that make sense? So like distinct from the person, but more present in the office kind of thing. Yes. Very much so. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So, so for instance, when he, uh, the, the last thing he says, said, God, the father of mercies to the death and resurrection of his son has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. Uh, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the the thought or the idea, the best that I understand, is that, yes, the priest is there. He's a person. God gave him the, the authority to do it. But um, but he's not the one that, how do, I, how do I put this? It's not by his power that anything sure. is done. Right. If right. that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and it may be some semantics, um, but I do think it, it points also to a little bit of difference, maybe a lot of bit of difference um, in how Catholicism and Orthodoxy view uh, the ecclesiological, I think I made up a word, <laughs> but the structure <laughs> within the church, like um, what... Uh, we, we probably mostly agree on what the role of a priest is, but sort of where um, we talked about this a little bit when we when we sort of debated the Pope uh, without ever really debating the Pope, sort of a, a top down power structure uh, in the Catholic Church. And I don't mean that like derogatorily, but that that's sort of like it kind of starts the Pope and, and goes down, whereas the orthodoxy is much less defined than that. And if you had to put a, a, a direction on it, which my priest cautioned me not to do that, <laughs> um, is more kind of from the bottom up, um, from the church itself as, as a body, as a community. Um, so did, did God give us a body in a community or did he give us priests? I don't understand the question. Well, I mean, when, when Christ left, the particularly when it comes to the issue of confession, we can I guess we can talk about a ecclesiology again some other time. But sure, episode, episode twenty is coming up. Yeah, he didn't he didn't breathe on everybody, which we'll get to this passage in just a minute, uh, and and give them the authority to forgive and to retain. He breathed on the apostles. Sure. Yeah. Right. So there's a very distinct um, and specific calling or. Uh, ministry that God gave to the 12 
that he didn't give to everybody else. At least it doesn't seem that way from Scripture. It doesn't seem that way from church history. So you, you like you were saying earlier, uh, this isn't something that you are alluded to maybe. You, this isn't something you can just do with your, your friend down the street or your friend from church or whatever, right? Because God didn't give this authority or this office to just anybody, mm. right? Would Would the... Orthodox Church say that you could just do this with your wife or with your best friend? Uh, no, I don't. I've not read anywhere that, that you can do that. I mean, the the Orthodox Church does talk about look the the prayers we say daily and morning and evening prayers have an element of of confession to them. Oh, for uh, sure. And you know we're so there there is this there is sort of a tension, I guess, in the Orthodox Church between. You know, if you are in a conversation with someone like your wife or your best friend and you, while you're in that conversation, sin, well, then, and you realize it, well, then you, you confess to them, like, I, I, I'm sorry, I said, you know, in that sort of conciliatory, reconciliation sort of oriented way, I, I sinned against you just now, yeah, uh, I, mean, I confess. But, but- but that doesn't distinguish Orthodox or Catholics from anybody else. I mean, Baptists do that. Like if, sure, if, sure. If we, if we, we're, we're talking about the sacrament of confession, right, right, right. Which is, which is not, which is not. I sinned against my brother necessarily, or I sinned against Brian, or I sinned against Jessica, and if I've done that, I need to make it right between them. This is, I've wounded my soul. Right. I need a healer. Mm-hmm. I need. I need. Um, I need the forgiveness and the mercies of God because I've sinned against him who I should love above all else. Um, and, and it's, it's hurt me and, and he's the only one that can fix me, you know? Um, so talking about the office or the role of a priest in the sacrament of confession and how it's distinct or different from a Protestant view one of those things would be to say that this isn't something that you can just do anywhere, anytime with anybody. Right. Right. Like this is something that's a, it's a sacred moment with an ambassador given to the church by God, a, an office or a, a ministry that God's given to the church, but that can only be found in the priesthood. Now we can talk about the scriptures and all those different types of things, but I think just to, just to distinguish it, um, and I, and I hear what you're saying. M- maybe there are some nuanced theological differences between the East and the West when it comes to how we would describe the priest's role in confession. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't understand quite the difference that I feel like you're trying to say that there is. I, I don't see it. Like when I when I hear what. You know, when I've, I've reading through earlier what the Catechism says about confession, um, you know, we, we may use a different title for our priests, but the, the at the end of the day, what we're trying to say, I think, is essentially the same thing, which is that Christ has given us priests for this ministry, that, that God is the one that forgives sins always and everywhere. Like, it's His authority, it's His mercy, it's His grace, it's his work on the cross through his son that allows all of this to take place. It's all God's grace. But that just like the waters of baptism are a gift, a physical, tangible thing 
through which God does a miracle. God, you know, performs a great work. Um, it's through the priest that God has given his church that we experience the, the, the forgiveness of sins and confession. Yeah. No, that's, I don't remember what distinction I was trying to make, but that certainly wasn't it (laughs) because yeah, that's, that's, I do agree that our traditions are in alignment on that point. So I got you. um, I don't remember what distinction I was trying to make earlier, but but not it, that it was something. It was something to the effect of you. You understood that the Orthodox understand like the priest's role differently. Like that when y'all go to confession, you don't understand that you're confessing to the priest, but to God. And you're you were saying that you. Uh, I think what you were saying is that you felt like the West saw that differently. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, what I, what I'm trying to say is I don't think that there's a difference when we, when we use the term in persona Christi, we're, we recognize, or what we're trying to say is that it, it, it would, it would be no different if Christ were sitting physically, bodily, literally in our presence for us to confess to him. than it, when we go to confession, like we, we are confessing to Christ. Okay. And the, the priest is there ministering as Christ. Like it's there's not a distinction in our minds between those two. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um when at our church, and I guess probably every local um Orthodox church will do it a little bit differently. Uh I think some will go, you'll go and confess in front of an icon of Christ. Uh we go and we are conf- when we confess, um it's in front of, I, I guess it's sort of icon. It's the cross with Christ on it that we put in the center of, of the church um, during Pascha, during Easter. And we stand before that and, and uh, confess. And the priest like, look, gaze, you know, gaze upon Christ, look at Christ, look upon Christ as you confess, basically, because mm. it's, it's him that forgives your sins. It's not me. You know, again, I think very much along the same lines of what you're saying. Like, it's not... Um, our priest is Father John, uh, John Wheeling. So it's not John Wheeling that can, you know, uh, forgives our sins. It's Christ. And the, but the priest, like you said, does have a function in that, does have a, a role in that sacrament of confession. You know, it's the priest who gives counsel, who gives advice. It's Mm -hmm. the priest who hears, it's the priest who, uh, says the prayer, just the priest who, you know, prays the prayer of absolution at the end of confession, um, so yeah, I don't remember exactly what, well, I do remember sort of, uh, the distinction I was trying to make. And I think I was just misunderstanding the Catholic, um, the Catholic approach, uh, in that somewhat. So, I mean, so I, I guess just out of curiosity, like, um, so it would be extremely rare, I think under normative circumstances but in theory i could go to confession and for any number of reasons my priest could say um yeah i can't absolve you right like like um if there was some overt evidence that i was like i said yeah look this is what i'm done and i guess i'm just going to keep doing it because it's not that big of a deal right 
I don't know why I'd be going to confession in the first place, but in theory, <laughs> he could he could say, okay, well, if you're not repentant, I, I can't, like, I can't absolve you, right? Um, so there is a, there is a sense, like, when we can get to this passage in more depth in a little bit, but like in John 20, where it says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The word if is really big deal in that in that passage yeah. right yeah. it's very con- it's very conditional um and so we on the one hand we don't want to misattribute the grace of Christ to a, a sinful person like a priest right and say that the priest is the one in and of his own power or volition that you know has the means to give you pardon and peace right, right. Having said that, we also uh, we want to balance that out and recognize the role and the spe- in the, the the special role that the priest has in that sacrament, that um, that God is using them as a representative. He is using them as his mouthpiece, as his ambassador, and uh, that it's really important what they say, you know, yeah. and that that you you listen to them and that um, you know. They're the ones that I don't, I don't know. Does that make sense? No, it does. And um, the only experience I have uh, currently with confession is um, for those of you who don't know in listener internet audience land, um, the Thomas family is fine. Like I refer to myself as Orthodox and have for a while, but I have not. Uh, we made it clear in the earlier episodes I was still a catechumen. Well, this past weekend we're recording this on Monday, so this past Saturday and Sunday. Um, all my boys were baptized, uh, Kelly and I and our daughter, who was already baptized, all of this, we were all chrismated. And Sunday, we all received the Eucharist uh, for the first time, except for Atticus, who got freaked out and would not receive the Eucharist. So, um, <laughs> but so we're, we're like, we're officially like for reals Orthodox now. Um, very cool. Yeah, it's very nice. It's been a long time coming. Um, yeah. So, but the only confession we've gone to so far is when we went and did our, our lifetime confession, which is exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the lifetime confession, Father John, uh, our priest, was sort of explaining how confession works in Orthodoxy, kind of what it's like, and and saying, you know, you'll pray. Uh, he covers, and then he, after you confess, he puts the priest stole over your head. Um, and that's when he prays the prayer of absolution. But he mentioned, he told me, I don't know why he told me, maybe he just thought it was particularly relevant to me, but it was like, look, if you come in here and you confess like a major sin, like, Oh, like I, I robbed a bank and shot the guard. Uh, he's like, I'm not going to absolve you. <laughs> he's like, because we're going to need to take care of that first. You're going to need to be actually repentant and like, go give the money back and turn yourself in. And then I'll absolve you. But um, he's like, but other than that, other than, stuff like that, you know, that's, that's typically how it will go. But it, mm. it, I mean, he literally said the exact same thing you just said, like, look, if you come in here and you're not repentant and there's obvious and sort of clear evidence that you're not it's like, I'm not going to absolve you because right. you have to repent. It's not enough right. to just, again, it's not enough just to come in and mechanically recite your sins and expect that God's going to give you, you know, a little, a little forgiveness treat. Um, for just saying the words that you right. have to actually repent. And you're right. The priest does play that role in being sort of the wisdom of Christ in that regard. 
in that moment to, to know, um, to say, to, to discern whether or not a person is, is actually repentant because that is, that is what it's about. It's, it's not just, it's not about, and this kind of leads to what I was about to ask, which is, you know, why is confession important? Why do we make it a sacrament? But it's not so much the, the actual verbal confessing that's important, although that is important, but that absent repentance is, isn't worth anything. It's not a, it's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, but sure. but I'm sure our Baptist friends wonder, like, well, why, why is it a thing? Why is confession a sacrament? And you've you've mentioned a few scriptures. I think that that give some give some weight to it. Show point to the the tradition that is the sacrament of confession. If what what are what are some of those passages? Yeah, like you, is that you, what you just... yeah, like you've referenced I a gotcha. couple. I think it's worth going ahead. I mean, if you're ready to go ahead and start delving into them in depth a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, one more, and I think they kind of tie in. This is why I bring this up. One of one other reason why someone might say that confession is unnecessary is because um, Baptists tend to have this view that our sin was forgiven, past, present, and future, once and for all, like dealt with. And and on the one hand, I, I would say that you know once we become part of Christ, right? There's a sense in that which can never be changed or taken away, right? The, we, uh, the Catholics, we talk about this indelible mark on the soul, right? Yeah. Like we have been adopted into the family and there's nothing that can really change that. I mean, we can deal with salvation and losing salvation and what all that might or might not mean in some other episode. But the idea of confession, right, is uh, it's, it's to say that we still have a free will, and that even though Christ has done everything necessary on the cross to forgive us, and though we've been brought into his family, we're still, we still falter and fail. And mm-hmm. just like even though me and my wife are in a covenant relationship and she's committed to loving me till death do us part, um, I, I'm not supposed – if I just say, well, she's going to love me anyway, so I don't have to do anything, right? Uh, if, I, if I sin or if I mess up and I really hurt her – well, she's not going anywhere. Yeah, you know that that would be a horrible approach to take, and it would really damage our relationship. Like, it it would really show a lack of love and fidelity on my part. And um, I, I'm just sorry, but our relationship would not be the same if I took that attitude, right? It would it would wound our friendship and our communion. Um, so I need to be repentant. So when we get to uh, places, oh, let's see here. Um, right. Well, Matthew six is a great example. Jesus, they say, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus gives us the most famous prayer in all of Christianity, right? The Lord's prayer, and in verse twelve it says, "And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors." Yeah. Right. Um, First John one nineteen. Again, he's talking to believers. He says, "If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness." So. To a certain extent, I think Baptist, Orthodox, Catholic, we could all agree that there is a certain sense in which our continuing our continued relationship with God requires us to constantly come before Him in humility, mm-hmm. right, and oh, to yeah. confess our faults and to recognize that we've, um, you know, that we've sinned against God, that we're still struggling in our flesh, and that uh, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and um, you know, recognize 
where our our hope comes from, which is from the Lord. Uh, even in the Old Testament, the covenant community of God, uh, they were required. It said, uh, I think it's in Leviticus uh, 19, talks about a man that uh, commits adultery. Um, he says he's supposed to bring a guilt offering for himself to the Lord, and the priest will make an atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sins which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. Right? Now this is somebody that's a part of the covenant, right? Somebody that's a part of the community of God. Still, when he sins gravely, he's required to bring a sacrifice. He's required to come. Not because he's been uncircumcised, not because he's not identified as a Jew anymore, but yeah. because you know, he's a part of this community fellowship. He's a part of the community of God, the family of God, and, and he has to make sacrifice to the Lord um, because of his, you know, his sin. And then when we get to, so John chapter 20, um, the first part of it is really, really important. Jesus says to them, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. So for just a second, it might be good to talk about, okay, when it comes to sin and forgiveness, how has the Father sent Jesus? Like when we read through the Gospels and we um, just take it at, at face value, when we read through what Jesus talks about, how his ability to forgive sins and to pardon people and, and all this kind of stuff, he talks about he doesn't say anything of his own accord, but only does the things that the Father's given him to do. Um, you know, people question him even one time. Who are you to forgive sins? Only God can do this. Uh -huh. and, he, and he says, you know, you're, you're right. And so that you may know that the Son of Man hath authority to forgive sins. And then he turns to the guy and he says, take up your bed and walk. So he makes it pretty clear, you're right. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. And guess who sent me? Yeah. You know, guess who's by authority I've come. Guess who I am, right? I'm God. I've come by the Father's authority, so I do have the authority to do this. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in our Western mind, we have this mentality that uh, that's very hmm, – how do I put this? I, I don't think we fully grasp and understand the idea of authority and how it works, like ambassadorship or stewardship, Um what that looked like in the East and how you could, you could do something in the King's name. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and it would be with the King's authority. It would be just like the King was standing there saying it, right? Like that's how you were supposed to take it. Like if a, if a messenger from the King came and said, this is what, or an ambassador or a steward or a governor, they came in the King's name. So when they said something, you did it as if though the King himself had said it. Right. Right. So, when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you, that really is important. And then he adds context to that by saying, and when he had said this, which is, you know, John says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. Right? So... If you see, you know, being a preacher as just uh, an elevated layperson, right? They just preach and all this kind of stuff. To me, as a Baptist, this didn't make sense, right? Like when I read this passage, it was like, okay, this, it doesn't sound like they're just declaring, you know, the gospel carte blanche. This is what it is. If you come, come. If you don't, you know, because it's if you forgive. It's a, it's a, it's an active verb. Now, some people have mentioned it's a passive, you know, like a, a, an active passive, and I think that gets into the distinction that you and I were talking about earlier when it comes to, 
the priest is in the person of Christ, right? It's not like he's doing it of his own accord, right? right. He's he's declaring something um, that God has done, but at the same time, it's dependent on him doing it, right? So yeah. it's um, there. There's some. It's the same type of verb tense that we see Jesus use on the cross when he says, "It is finished," right? Um, it's this idea that well, he was sla- You know, we know it from Revelation that this redemptive plan was set in stone before the foundation of the world, right? Like yeah. there's a sense in which what Christ did on the cross was eternal, right? But at the same time, Jesus still had to come and die on the cross. Like that work mattered and it accomplished something, right? It, it was finished. So, um, so the, the simple argument would be how can one of these apostles forgive sins or retain sins if they don't know what the sins are. Right. Like that yeah. would be, that would be kind of one of the simpler arguments that some, you know, a Catholic might throw out there. Uh, and I would assume Orthodox too. I don't, I've not read a whole lot about Orthodox uh, hermeneutic of this passage, but it's like, but I also, I, but some of the early church fathers we can get to in a little bit, they, they, like when they, would quote this passage, they would do it this way. It's like, how, how can you forgive sins that you don't know anything about, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially if that forgiveness is dependent upon your action, right? Like you can't actively forgive something you don't know if it exists or not. Right. Um, another passage would be James chapter 5, where it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, again, all this is within the context of the um, presbyteros, I believe is the word used there for elders, which is where we get our word priest from. Um, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, if he has forget- committed sins, he will be forgiven. When? Well, when the elders of the church come and pray and anoint him with oil and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Therefore, again, conjunction word, I think, is that what you call it? A conjunction? Like where yeah. one word connects the, okay. yeah, yeah. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power and its effects. Uh, Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and it did not rain. Interestingly enough, he talks about Elijah praying that it rain or not rain and it raining or not raining in conjunction with the forgiveness of sins based on the prayers of the elders, right? So it kind of goes back to the argument in, um, you know, John 20. Say, well, is it just some passive thing? They're just declaring the forgiveness of God or is there, you know, is it actually doing something if they forgive or if they retain? Mm-hmm. Um you know, when James talks about the forgiveness of sins that's granted by the prayers of the elders of the church, he connects it with the priest, with the prophet Elijah, who God God listened to his prayers, right? When Elijah asked for it to rain, it rained, and when he asked for it not to rain, it didn't rain. Uh, this holding and releasing again that we find the, the parallel or analogy to. So those are probably two of the, the biggest ones. You know, we, we get First John one nineteen again, we mentioned earlier, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A uh, Protestant might come back and say, well, it doesn't say to confess your sins to a priest. 
That's true. It, it doesn't in this particular passage. Um, I, I, I grant that. Yeah. Um, that's true in that one. But in most places where you do encounter the idea of confession in the New Testament, I'm assuming the Old Testament as well, although I, I, I don't know that for sure, but there's very little, if any, verse that really that takes confession out of a communal sense. Oh yeah. Like even sure. in that, that epistle you mentioned, uh, you know, John's epistle, his first epistle, he's writing to a church. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, I remember reading in the early church, the practice was when you confessed, <laughs> you confessed in front of everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of traditions of the early church that I'm, I'm pretty glad we don't practice anymore uh, is one you used to be baptized and chrismated naked. Um, and two, you had to confess your sins in front of everybody. Um, right. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, and, and I was reading some earlier today uh, about confession and, and it really, uh, and I think it was from the, the Antiochian uh, Orthodox church, but it, it was really grounding confession in the context of community, both, our communion, our being in communion with God, and also the church being in communion with itself as like a, as a local body. Mm. Um, I think it was Bishop Ware who's who said. Let me see if I can find it. I had it highlighted, but I might have lost the highlight. Um, let's see. Yeah, Bishop Ware said there are no entirely private sins. All sins are sins against my neighbor as well as against God and against myself. Even my most secret thoughts are, in fact, making it more difficult for those around me to follow Christ. Hmm. Uh, and then, I think this was a commentary added, it was like, far from being hidden, each sin is another crack in the world. And I think one of the reasons it's hard, or uh, let me, let me, rephrase, let me phrase this differently. One of the reasons it was hard as a Baptist to kind of get my hands and my mind around the idea of confession you know, to a priest, uh, trying to wrap my mind around why is that necessary? Why is that, you know, even good was the, the privatization of sin. Like my sin is my deal. Um, you know, and if I sin against my wife, well, I'll tell her I'm sorry, but it's not the priest's business. It's not anybody else's business. Um, and, and there's such a – when you approach sin or you think of sin in that sort of radical individualistic way, and I think um, Baptists tend to think of salvation in sort of a radi- radically individualistic way as well, and maybe that's where, it's, where it really it, it stems from. When you think of salvation as primarily between you as an individual and God instead of between God and his church as a community, sacraments just don't make as much sense. Mm-hmm. because what need do I have of telling my sins to someone else if my salvation is primarily between me as an individual and God rather than between God and his community and God and me as a member of that community? Right. Um, yeah, we, we take this very um, kind of lone wolf approach to salvation. And somebody, I, I was listening to something not long ago. They were like, you know, lone wolves die. Yeah. Yeah, like like they're they're pack animals, and I'm not trying to say we're animals, but 
like we we were created to be in communion and mm-hmm. we we forget that you're right so often that god didn't um he gave us a church right he he didn't just give us he didn't just say okay now go off and do your own thing right like we were baptized in the body of christ all of us we're all part of this body together of believers it's it's not just a it's not just a lone wolf kind of process it's we're we're part of a family yeah yeah and and we're it's a it's like a very wide or very large also very close knit family you know when we mm. read passages in the bible uh comparing the church to a family of god makes more sense or I think it's the truer understanding of that is to not envision it family in the sense that we really understand family in in our American 21st century culture where family is primarily a husband and wife and children but family as being including what um, what someone refers to as family as our families of origin like a family wasn't just one generation and their children it was like uh, well, it, it goes back to, I remember reading that when Jesus said, I, I go to prepare a place for you and my father's house are many mansions. That phrase in my father's house are many mansions makes no sense when you understand mansions as like standalone giant houses. But it makes more sense when you realize that that word translated mansions means something akin to apartments mm-hmm. and that it was customary, not everywhere, but in a lot of places when his son would get married, he would literally build an add on to his father's house and that would be where he would bring his bride. And so in my father's house are many add ons, many apartments. Um, Cause it makes no sense to say my father's house are many mansions because that's like a smaller structure holding a bunch of bigger structures. I remember, I remember teaching that uh, one Wednesday night or Sunday. I don't remember um, at my church in El Dorado when I was a pastor. And I had a couple of ladies come up to me and, and they were not very happy. They're like, we're still going to think we're going to get a mansion when we go to heaven. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> I was like, that's fine. Like, I'm not trying to cheapen heaven for you. Um, but it, I think it speaks to the intimacy of it. And so when a community is that tight knit, where you literally – you know, uh, your house is attached to the house of your father and attached to the house of your brother and attached to the house of your nephew and niece. Um, then there is no such thing as a private sin. If you, if you lash out against your wife, well, everybody in the house is going to know, right. You know, if you are angry, then everyone's going to know if you, if you bring a hooker into the house, everybody's going to know, you know, there's no hiding your sin in that Mm -hmm. scenario. There's, there's no such thing as I sinned against myself and nobody else. Therefore it's no one's business. Um, and even like in a more kind of modern subtext when like I can tell that my behavior towards other people changes when I'm trying to deal with a sin on my own. Like when I've done something, uh, like I've gotten angry uh, at my kids and now I'm beating myself up because I raised my voice at my kids. Well, it throws everything off. Kelly can tell my mood is different. My kids can tell my mood mm-hmm. is different. Um, and so even though I'd say, well, it's a private stand, it's between me and my kid. And I apologize to my kid and I ask them to forgive me. So now I'm just dealing with the residual stuff in myself. It's nobody's business, but my own, I'm making it everyone else's business by existing because mm-hmm. my sin effect. 
Sure. Um, yeah, and it, and it's kind of crazy, honestly, to think that even with things like that, like sometimes you think, okay, confession. I need to go to confession to talk about like idolatry, like I, you know, I burned incense in front of Buddha or something. I don't know. <laughs> I told you, you got to quit that. <laughs> um, why would we think that? Like, like, like I'm just, I'm going to use the example you just gave, right? Mm-hmm. Like your kids are yours, but they're not your own. Right. Right. Like especially now, they're a part of the church. So like if you if you sin against them, right, they they belong to Christ. Yeah. Right? Like they, they belong to God the Father. They're they're his beloved. And so not only do you have to go to them to, you know, say, Hey, I, I shouldn't have raised my voice or whatever, but some people might would ask, well, if you deal with it with your kids, why do you have to go to confession about it? Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and well, the reason is because they're gods, right? Like, like, uh, they matter to him. They belong to him. And so you didn't just offend them, right? Or you didn't just def- make offense against them, but you, you know, you, you have to apologize to God and go to him, uh, to in confession because it matters to him. Like he cares about you. He cares about your soul. Um, but he also cares about the one to whom you or you know who your offense was towards. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It it makes a lot of sense. And um, in in the Orthodox Church, generally, once you when you join the church or when when a child is born into the church and is baptized, like that child has a sponsor. Um, and when it's time for communion, and we see it every Sunday, like when, when it's when it's about time to receive the Eucharist, the kids will start to migrate over towards the person that is their sponsor. Or if it's a baby, the parent will take that baby over to the person that is their sponsor, and that's who takes the children up to receive the Eucharist. It's mm. sometimes they stay with their parents, but generally, uh, in a lot of the cases, it's not the parent; it's the sponsor. And it's, I think, it points to what you're just talking about. These children are not my own. I mean, they are my own, yeah. but they're not my own. And so, um, it just reinforces that sense of community and, and interconnectedness. And so, you know, just how many dominoes there are, um, that are going to fall over when you, when you knock, when you knock one down with your yeah. sin. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of like what Paul, I think it was Paul talked about, you know, um, Maybe in a slightly different context, but I think it still applies. You know, if the the hand gets cut off, it doesn't just hurt the hand. Yeah. You know, it hurts the whole body. Like when you when you stump your toe in the night, your whole body feels it. You know, like it, it's just it's <laughs> that the truth. Yeah. And um, and we've really lost this in in the in the American Christian culture. This idea that well, you know, this part is God. So if I, if I sin with this, I have to, you know, I should go pray and ask God to forgive me. But if I, you know, just if I waste some money, that's not a big deal. Well, now that money's not yours. Not really. You know, if you're, if you're a Christian, it belongs to the Lord. You know, all of you belongs to him, your time, your resources. If you really believe that God created all of creation, you believe that he created the, you know, the person you flipped off when you were mad driving down the interstate 
you know, you may never be able to apologize to that person, but guess who that person belongs to? Yeah. I mean, guess who created that person, right? Like, so yeah, your soul needs healing. You need to find restoration and mercy and grace, but you also need to go to the Lord and apologize because guess what, right? Like that, it offended him, right? Like that's what sin does. It, it offends the Lord. It not, I mean, it, it, it wounds him. It hurts him because he loves us, but also because these things that we're sinning with or against that belongs to him, right? Like it, it really does matter. It's, uh, it's not, a, it's not a small thing. It's our whole lives, every part of us, our time, our resources, the people we come in contact with on the street, like, um, you know, it's, he wants all of us, not just part of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think another aspect of it, when we talk about well, why does confession matter? Why do I need to have a priest there? Um, this was something I, I, I was also reading about, um, is the idea that confession is, is also for our own healing and mm-hmm. basically, uh, to oversimplify it, it kind of boils down to, you can't heal yourself. Hmm. You know, you, and it's funny, I was, I was actually reading a novel, uh, the other day that, that kind of brought up this, this same sort of paradox. It was like, uh, a psychiatrist, psychologists can sit down across, uh, the desk or across the couch or whatever from their client, from their patient and listen to them and talk to them and then say, look, here's, here's your problem. Here's what you're struggling with. Here's what you need to deal with. It's like, but they can't sit and look at themselves in a mirror and do the same thing to mm. themselves. Um, it's like this, this, there's a blindness there that you can't self, you can't diagnose yourself. You can't heal yourself. Um, and, and there's an aspect of confession that is the, 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 the you know, the confession of your sin, the repentance and the absolution. There's also an aspect of it that it's, it's healing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've, I think you meant, I think you used this phrase or something like it. You've wounded your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't heal your own soul. Right. And so you go to the avenue that God gave through which to accomplish healing, which is Christ, who is present in this world through his church and exists, and there exists within the church certain offices that dispense gifts that, you know, we, the layman don't have the authority or the power to give. And one of those is mm-hmm. absolution. One of those is that, that healing, you know, whether it be, um, you know, advice, counsel, whether it be, um, you know, prayers, whether it be, and I think you mentioned this and I, I haven't asked my priest to know if it's true in orthodoxy, but, uh, I think you've, you've said this, that the priest does penance for the sins he hears. Am I getting mm-hmm. that correct? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, most definitely. The so canon law, um, a priest is required. I'm not sure who sets the amount, or like I don't know all the specific details, but I do know that it, like a priest um, has a specific set of of time, or um, every I think after every confession, something like that, where he he fasts and prays for the sins of the people that he just you know granted penance to. Which is really remarkable and very, very humbling. Like when I go into the confessional and I, I confess it. I think when I learned that, it just added a whole other layer of gratitude for what um, role the priest serves. Yeah. That in standing 
you know, if in Persona Christi, right, like he he not only um you know grants pardon and peace to the ministry of the church that Christ has granted, but uh like it's kinda like Paul, right? Like making up for what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Right? Like there's this aspect of his ministry that it's very connected, right, to what I've I've just confessed, that I'm not in this alone, that that he's he's praying for me, that he's fasting on my behalf so that I might, you know, be made whole, so that I might be healed, you know, of, of my sin and, and the, the things that I have, you know, beset me. It's it's a really remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. It really, it, that's really neat. I, I really, when you told me that uh, the first time, whenever we were talking about this, like, man, that's that's such a, a deep thing. Um and it runs so counter to that thing that Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Hmm. Because it's so easy to confess. Let me rephrase this again. When I was a Baptist, <laughs> um, it was so easy to just kind of confess your sin or confess my sin and, and just go on. And it mm-hmm. not cost anything. And in one sense, the as you know the one aspect of grace and forgiveness is that you know we don't have to pay for our sins you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but on the other yeah, hand we, we we never could pay for it like it right uh, it, yeah we we can't pay for our sins there's there's no way it's too high a cost but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't in some sense cost us something like right right and it's so easy or it was so easy just to say well God I did this I'm sorry. And then you get, all right, well, that's end. That was relatively painless, just me and God. He didn't say anything. He didn't seem that shocked about it. It wasn't a big deal to him. I'll just keep going. Right. Um, and then you counter that with this practice where you confess. And then the priest, and it reminds me of that, um, I believe it I believe it was the Apostle Paul said, I, I fill up, through my suffering, I fill up what is lacking uh, in the mm-hmm. suffering of Christ. Um. I think that's such a, a neat sort of illustration of that or yeah. a neat, um, you know, the, the priest kind of doing that same thing. Um, again, not because Paul or the Catholic church or the Orthodox church believed that Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. Paul doesn't say it was insufficient. Basically mm-hmm. he just says it's, it's completed in us. It's completed through the church. Right. Um, again, not completed in a sense that Jesus didn't do enough but in the sense that it's still going on and it's still being if effectuated, if that's the right word, in the world through the church, through yeah. the priests. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a it's something that was accomplished but lived out yeah. today. Like it, it it was accomplished like Christ, but it's by Christ, but it's it's lived out. It's um uh, to put it, its, yeah. its fullness in, yeah. in the life of the church, which is is something pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious. So here in the West, we have uh, we kind of distinguish sometimes the, the terms get mixed around. But like you go to confession, and then the priest absolves you from your sins, and then he says, "Now for your penance, mm-hmm. right? I would I would like you to go say this prayer. I'd like you to go." you know, do this thing or go meditate upon this or, or what have you. And it kind of goes back to something you just said, which is why I wanted to bring it up. 
Um, sometimes there's a misconception from evangelicals looking at Catholicism and say, oh, okay, look, now you're just trying to earn the forgiveness. Sure. Right? Yeah. And and just to add a little bit of correction or maybe a lot of correction, um, <laughs> like when we walk out of confession, like we we talk – we some some saints call it the second baptism. Like we walk out as pure and as clean, assuming that we made a good confession – Right, that yeah. we were truly repentant and, and all those different types of things, we walk out spotless, like the day of our baptism, the day of mm-hmm. regeneration. Like we, there, there's no spot or stain on our soul, right? In in one sense. On the other hand, there's still a part of us that, like all of us would admit, that our flesh is still at war in us, mm-hmm. and so. When the priest gives penance or he says, go do this for your penance, it's kind of like um, – it's, it's it kind of goes back to the idea of Paul when he talks about working out your salvation in fear and trembling. It's this concept of, okay, you've been forgiven, but that part of you that caused you to sin, let's put that to death. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like this encouragement, this – I mean requirement even um, to say let's oh. – Baptists don't like that word. I found I know, that right? out on Facebook. <laughs> um, this requirement of okay, you need to demonstrate your your repentance, right? Like you need to you need to do something to 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 demonstrate and to actually put to death a part of you that would like to sin, right? Like you you need to exercise your repentance out, right? And and that's so go say these prayers and go meditate upon these passages or go, you know, something to, to put your mind on Christ and to put to death the deeds of the flesh, like Paul talks about in Romans. Yeah. Right. Like this active, um, participation in nailing our sins and our sinfulness to the cross, so to speak. Um, which, it's really, it's really nice, right? Like, I mean, I, I really have grown to love confession, uh, to, to hear the words of absolution. Um, you know, there's something to be said for the spiritual aspect of even when you don't feel a certain way, knowing that you're forgiven and, and all this kind of stuff. But, but man, sometimes you just feel so rotten going in and, you know, it, a Baptist, Catholic, anybody, you know, those of us that truly love Christ, you know, there's that part of us that just, it, we hate it when we sin, you know, I just feel, we feel rotten. Mm -hmm. Uh, it really sucks, uh, to have this part of us that's at war inside of us. And so sometimes I just need to hear it, you know, I, I know that there's a reality attached to it beyond what I feel or don't feel, I believe that as a Catholic, but man, some days I just need to hear it, you know, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Like there's just a, there's such a, there's such a, a grace that's communicated just in, in hearing the words, you know, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, really I think it makes is, perfect sense. It really is nice. And then be able, and then, and then to have something to go out and to immediately attach my thoughts to, Right when he says, "Okay, go do this. Go say this prayer." Just kind of like in gratitude, going out and focusing my heart and my mind 
on things that are above and not on things below. It'd be so easy to walk out, I think, sometimes and just to kind of second doubt and to question and all this kind of stuff. And it's like this immediate, okay, go focus on Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you've confessed your sins, your sins have been forgiven. Now go cling to the one who died for you, right? Go, yeah. go focus on him, go love him, go, go let him love on you. Because technically, you're supposed to leave the confession and go kneel right in in the sanctuary and just right there do penance immediately. It's like this idea of okay, you've been forgiven. Now go spend time with the one who loves you. Yeah, you know it's just this it's this remarkable moment that's just so. Ah oh man, it's so it's so wonderful. I, I've I've I just love it so much. I've grown to be so appreciative of confession for a lot of reasons, but that's probably one of the the ones up there on the list it's just it's just so remarkable yeah yeah i i really love that presentation of of penance because you're right growing up a baptist the thought was that was you for one you didn't actually have to mean it when you confessed and then two you had to say these prayers to actually kind of earn it so it was both insincere and um, works based. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's such a beautiful, a beautiful presentation of, of the true, of what penance is, you know, penance isn't earning it. Um, it's, uh, oh, there's something kind of actualizing it or I don't know if actualizing is not the right word, but I think again, it, it kind of goes back to that, that healing aspect of confession, you know? Mm. Um, it's funny talking, you're talking about the second baptism. Uh, some saints refer to it as the second baptism and coming out pure. Um, when after the boys were baptized Saturday, Father John was telling them, "Look at son- tomorrow during liturgy, when it's time to receive the Eucharist, you know, as soon as I say this part, y'all just go ahead and come up to the front." He's like, "If the servers are there, he's like, you just get out of the, you know, kind of push them out of the way and be like, what? Can't you see I'm newly illumined? He's like, can't you see me shining <laughs> with purity? You can't. Well, go clean off your spiritual eyes." Um, but just that, uh, and when, um, we're, cause we've spent years being prayed for in church as catechumens. And this past Sunday we were prayed for not as catechumens, but it was, you know, the newly illumined. And mm-hmm. that was so cool. I think I put that in a Facebook post and probably did poke a few of my Baptist friends when I said that, but I just, I love that phrase. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. being part of the newly illumined. And I love the yeah. idea of there being this real tangible gift that God has given his church by which that is that illumination, that purity, that holiness is constantly renewed, not through our own efforts, but through our own continued repentance and through our own continued submission to the authority of God mm-hmm. via the church, via the priests. Yeah. Um, it's such, I don't have the, the, amount of experience with it that you do um, since you've been Catholic for a while and, and been going to confession pretty regularly. And, and I've all I've done so far is the lifetime confession, but um, your description of it and your love for it really, really resonates with me. Um, especially when you kind of look back on, on how we both used to sort of look at it and both sort of used to understand it um, to go from seeing it as this really, really, shallow, immaterial, 
facade to understanding it to be this rich, deep source of uh, rejuvenation and renewal and holiness and healing. Um, it's a pretty, pretty significant turnaround. Well, but speaking, um, speaking of confession, maybe we should do a little confessing here uh, at the close of the podcast. Okay. And confess an unpopular opinion. Uh, not a theological one, because we've been confessing that, like, <laughs> that's the whole point of this podcast. But, like, a pop culture hot take, something you can't stand that is generally loved, something that you love that is generally hated, or just, a, like, the pettiest hill that you're willing to die on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, pop culture. I'm trying to think here. All right. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe some people don't care. Again, that's kind of the point of this segment. Yeah. Um, but some people probably do. I can't like the vast majority of shows with laugh tracks are just the dumbest. Like if you like, let's take like the big bang theory. It's one of the most popular, you know, yeah. sitcom television shows of the last 10 years. It's stupid. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out. Like if you, you can find YouTube channel, like YouTube channels where they take episodes and they just remove the laugh track. Right. And it's just like where you just have to deal with whether you personally think it's funny. And it's just the, it's the dumbest writing in the world. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just terrible writing. It's not funny at all. Yeah. We, Kelly and I listened to an episode of, Maybe it was the Happiness Lab that talked about that canned laughter in sitcoms. It, it was pretty interesting. Mm. Um, I, I agree. I think there's like, like I still enjoy Friends, even though it has a laugh track and also has some really dumb humor in it. Mm. Um, I think Frasier has a laugh track. I think Frasier maybe the best comedy with a laugh track. Uh, I, I could, I could, I could see that. Maybe it's just modern comedies that I hate. I don't know. Um. Well, like, but now the trend more is not to have them, like Parks and Recreation, The Office, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm, that's uh, true. The Ted, commu- community, community, community is hilarious. Yeah, Ted Lasso. Uh, those don't have laugh tracks. That's true. Um, I, I I tend to agree with you, though. I tend to agree with you. My this is not really a pop culture, but this is my pettiest hill on which I'm willing to die. We have to do something about North Carolina. North Carolina <laughs> rolls around their state and then sometimes outside their state in their little cars with their little license plates that say first in flight. And that is B S North Carolina. Oh, yeah. You are not the first in flight. The Wright brothers were from Ohio. The only reason they were in North Carolina flying was because your weather was because there was this desolate space that was perfect for trying to fly and not having a bunch of people around laughing at you every time you crash. North Carolina, you were not the first in flight. You should not get to have that on your license plate. Literally, on my birthday, um, Kelly and I went to Rogers and we went to Top Golf, had a great time. And as we were leaving, I saw a North Carolina <laughs> license plate and I was like, <laughs> I don't need to see that today. I don't need this in my life. On my birthday, it's freaking first in flight license plates. Like y'all had anything to do with that. Hmm. Uh, I think I even told Kelly, he's like, I don't know what level of government 
would need to make this decision, but North Carolina should be stopped. They should not there get to go. put that on their license plates. So Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I were to ever run for public office, I wouldn't really do any good in Arkansas because I can't do anything. But if I were to run for like the Senate or the House of Representatives or President, like that'd be on my campaign website. <laughs> I will make North Carolina change their license plates. Okay. So Yeah. And I agree. Well, I mean, that is insanely petty, but you know, that was kind of the point. It it is a little, but yeah, you're right. It was part of the point. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Well, Brian, um, as always, it's been a lot of fun. I'm very happy for you and your family. Obviously, uh, you know, wish you to come <laughs> west and maybe one day. I don't know. I'm still praying for it. I, I know that, uh, but, I, but I know that you've gone through a long journey to get to where you are. And, and I'm, uh, you know, at the same time, I'm so grateful for what God's been doing in y'all's lives. And, um, was so grateful to be able to be a part of the day and I uh, love you guys so much. Uh, for those of you that are listening, if you would please rate review us on whatever streaming service that you listen to podcasts on. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, snide remarks, disagreements, topics uh, for future episodes, whatever, uh, you can reach us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. Uh, but you can also email us at thishereticallife at gmail.com. That's thishereticallife, all one word, yep. at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, until next time, I think that's all I've got. Brian, you got anything you need to add? Nope, that's it for me today. We'll do it again next time. Okay. All right. Well, until next time, uh, yeah, God bless. God bless, and have a good night. <laughs>